All right, let's go ahead and uh, start finding our spots, finding our places. Um, it's good to see you all. If you could make sure you grab a study sheet. It's on the back side of that bulletin. It may help you out. Um, um, we got a lot of ground to cover. My prayer is that we cover the entire book of 1 Samuel this morning. And that being said, there's just no way that we can di dive into, there's just no way we can dive into stories like David and Goliath or the, or the Philistines stealing the Ark of God and getting hemorrhoids, right? We can't, that's a fun story. Like, you're, what are you talking about? Yeah, that's in your Bible. Yeah, the Bible word for it's emirads, right? uh, but we can't get into all that. We're not going to be able to get into all those things, but we are definitely going to be doing a bird's eye view of this book. We're in our series of the volume of the book. We're trying to just overview the scriptures, and I want to ask if you would turn your Bible to get First Samuel queued up, specifically chapter 3, but also I want you to go to Judges chapter 21, verse 25. I want to make sure that we understand where we are on the time frame, where we that we understand where we are in our Bible. Um, the book of 1 Samuel is a transition book from the time of the judges to the time of the kings. And uh, listen, you might be thinking, yeah, man, what does 1 Samuel have to do with me? I think by the end of this, um, Lord willing, by the end of this, you'd be like, oh, it has everything to do with me, uh, whether it's on a global scale or on an individual Scale And so uh, Judges chapter 21, verse 25 is where I'd like you to be. And, uh, and then uh, we're going we're gonna to get after this. Is everybody there? Say amen. All right. So I'm, I'm, I've been praying all morning that I would be chill <laughs> because I get, I get riled up with this type of stuff that we're going to talk about. And, and uh, today's going to be a little bit teachy, a little bit preachy. And uh, I, I pray that we, we, are, we are blessed. So let me go to the Lord and, uh, in prayer, and we will dive, dive in. If you're a guest with us, man, we are glad that you are here. Thank you for choosing to join with us as we worship the Lord together in song and also study His Word together. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we're able to come together, unite together around the certainty of the words of this book. And Lord, what a book that speaks into our lives individually and also in type and in picture of what's going on in the world today. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak. Lord, I pray that you would use me as your vessel. Lord, I pray that we would hear from your, you hear from your word and, and not from me. Lord, I pray that the things that we hear today will be studied out and proved out. Lord, that we'll take these home and, and study these things out for ourselves. Lord, I, I pray that you would... Uh, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. And Lord, that we'd understand where we fit in your, in your, in your timeline on this planet. Lord, I pray that you'd use this book to accomplish that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so I ask you to go to Judges 21 and verse 25. We've, I've been mentioning this verse numerous times over the last few weeks. And it says in verse 25, in those days. Now, if you're a Bible study student, you would understand that that phrase, those days, typically, almost always, implies or is speaking about a time of tribulation doctrinally. And so, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which is right in his own eyes. And the idea is that God was supposed to be the king from heaven over his people, and there's no king in Israel, and so everybody was a king unto themselves, 
And so you have this on one end. On one end, you have no king in Israel. Everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes. And so we're kind of leaving that stage of Israel behind, and we're going to enter into the time of the kings. So now I want you to go to 2 Samuel. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Um, I'm just trying to give you some some, uh, landmarks. In, in the word of God. In fact, the nation of Israel is referred to as God's landmark. You're not to move, be moving the landmark of Israel. And if you move Israel in your Bible, you, lo- you move Israel, you're going to get off kilter and you're going to end up in the fields of the fatherless. You're going to end up in a place that that's not where God would have us to go. But 2 Kings chapter, sorry, 2 Samuel chapter 5 in, in verse 3. It says, so all the elders of Israel came to the king to Hebron and king... David. So there's no king in Israel. Everybody does that which is right in their own eyes. And then we get all the way over here to 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 3. And there's a new guy on the, on the throne. His name is David. And so they make a league with them in Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. And so you see no king. And now there is a king. And not just a king. It is the right king, King David. And what you have in the middle is the book, books of Ruth and the books of 1 Samuel, smack dab in the middle of all of that. Now, go to Ruth. It's right before the book of 1 Samuel. Listen, you're going to get a workout this morning, and that's okay. Hopefully, we're familiar with the Word of God. Ruth chapter 4. And then I will start throwing some verses up on the screen here in just a few moments. I just want to make sure that we're understanding where we are um, in, in our Bible. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 17. You have this Ruth, a Moabitish woman. She marries a guy named um, named uh, Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer, and they have a child, and that's a cool, great story. But look, it says, verse 17, it says, And the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, the this, this son's name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And what you have in the book of Ruth is is this love story between Boaz and Ruth, but it's really a foreshadowing and an introduction to the true rightful king. His name is David. And this is all happening in that time of transition from judges to the time of the kings. And so the the message title I have for us um, this morning is Who Will Sit on the Throne? Because what you have in this crazy story in 1 Samuel is a battle over a throne. And if you are a student of the Bible, you would understand that that is the theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is not you. It is not me. It is not HBC. It's not even salvation. It is Jesus Christ ruling and reigning one day in Jerusalem. That is the theme of the Bible. Who will sit on the throne? And specifically, I like to word it this way. It's a battle for the kingdom and that's what the whole book of 1 Samuel lays out for us. And so just off the jump, I want to get, make sure that we just understand the overall story. And I also want you to understand this. There's a lot going on in this book that we are just not able to dive into. But my main goal is that we understand what's happening here. And so historically, doctrinally and inspirationally is how we're going to break this thing down. So historically, here's the, here's the point I want you to get. Or the question we ought to be asking is who will sit on the throne over Israel? Over Israel. This is a historical part of the story. What's happening in Israel? And the question on the table is, okay, who's going to sit on the throne over Israel? And we're going to get a bird's eye view of this book. Now, go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
because we're introduced to this guy named Samuel. The book is named after him. He is the last judge. He becomes a priest, but he's not, um, he's not a, a, a king. He's the last judge. He's a priest, and he does do some, some prophecies. So he pictures prophet, priest, and king, but he is the last judge. And so the question I have for us here is, will it be God? So on the, who's going to sit over Israel? Okay, well, the question is, will it be God? Because that's what you're dealing with in those first six to seven chapters of the book of 1 Samuel is God wants to rule and reign over his people. And this is a time when the Jewish people aren't hearing from God. There is no new revelation. No one's, no one's hearing from the Lord. In fact, check this out. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in, what's the phrase? Those days, pointing to a tribulation context, there was no open vision. No one's hearing from God. It's only what has already been written. That's what they're de dealing with, and no one's hearing from the God, and the word of the God is precious. In fact, go over here to chapter 3, verse 19. It says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel gets it. He's like, wait a second. No one's hearing from God. He's the first one that starts to hear from God, and he will not let the words of God fall to the ground. All right, so chapter 5. Go to chapter 5, because this is the time... When God's people aren't hearing from God, there is no open vision, okay? But it's also a time, get this, get this. This is also a time when the Jewish people are returning back to their land for national reasons, and they are at war with the people group. Anybody guess what part of the Israel nation they're warring with? They're warring with people in Gaza. Sound familiar? Because that's what's happening today. Israel is at war with people in Gaza. When you open your Bible to 1 Samuel, the same people they're fighting with in the same area are the people in, in Gaza. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And the Philistines, not the Palestinians, but the Philistines, took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. And when the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon, and so they worshiped a fish god, right? And so if you ever can pull up that up on your phone, it'll freak you out. And it's a fish god, and that's what they worshiped, and they brought the ark of God. And there's a cool story how the Dagon ends up falling on its face a couple times before the ark, and then God smites him with hemorrhoids and mice and all kinds of different things. But they are literally warring with this people group. Chapter 6, look at chapter 6 and verse 15. So the Philistines get tired of this ark of God, and they put it on a cart, and they just say, get out of here. We don't want God's judgment. And they send it back on a cart. The nation of Israel finds it. The Levites take it down off this cart, verse 15. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and, the gold were, and, and, and put them in the great stone. And the men of Beshemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron, the same day, and these are the golden emeralds. Now, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to be gross or funny, but God smites them with hemorrhoids, and he smites them with mice, and they make golden images of hemorrhoids. Weird. Is that not weird? That's weird. So they make golden images of hemorrhoids and, and of these mice, and they, they put them there, and it says for they they. they these, verse 17, and these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord for Ashdod one for, what's the word? 
Gaza won, for Ascalon won. By the way, the bombs are blasting in Ascalon just last night. For Gath won and for Ekron won. These cities, way back in your Bible, are still existing today. Those same areas still today. And, and here, they're not fighting with bombs, but God is fighting for them. But I just want you to see that they're fighting an enemy in the same area. Go to chapter 7, verse 3. And Samuel comes to them, and Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. This is a time when the nation of Israel is God's people in name only. They're not really serving the Lord. They're serving false gods. Now, if you think about the nation of Israel today, you th I think about their flag. And what's on their flag? It's a big blue star, isn't it? It's a star of Rephaim. It's a false god star. Is what it is. And so you have the nation of Israel who are Jewish in nature. They're God's people in nature, and yet they're bowing to a false God. And there's going to be a time where God brings them back, and they're going to have to return not just to, their, not just to the land, but to return their hearts unto the Lord. Same thing we're reading here in 1 Samuel. Same exact thing. All right, so it's a time when they're not hearing from God. It's a time when they're returning to the Lord and, and, and to the land. But it's also a time when they, do, they no longer want God to rule over them. They want a figurehead. They, they reject God as their king. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. Verse 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah and, and said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the, all the nations. When Mason just, man, he, he, he wrote that song, the Psalm 117 that we sang today. It's literally the word of God, singing it back to the Lord. And he was sharing about his heart that the nations are at war and they're not worshiping. And here you have the nation of Israel wanting to be like the nations instead of reaching the nations. It's backwards, isn't it? We want approval of the nations. We want to be like the nations. We want to be just like them. Give us a king. Interesting. Of course, it displeases Samuel. He prays to the Lord. You see that in verse 6. And then God speaks back to Samuel. Verse 7 says, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say to thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Hold on to that in the back of your mind or write that off, off to the side because what's happening here is they desire a king that's going to lead them into peace. That's what they want. They're tired of war. They're tired of the fighting. They're tired of all that. Would you just give us a king like everybody else? If we were just like everybody else, there wouldn't be any fighting. And we want a king that's going to lead us into peace. All right, go over here in verse 19, chapter 8, verse 19. It says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. Why? That we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Wait a second. Who's the battle belong to? Battle belongs to the Lord, doesn't it? The battle belongs to the Lord. He tells them in Deuteronomy, would you just show up and watch me fight, man? Just show up on the battlefield and I will go to war for you. And they said, no, no, no. We want a king, somebody who's going to judge us and somebody who's going to fight our battles. In other words, bring us peace. So the question is, will it be God? The next question is, okay, well, if it's not going to be God because they reject him, will it be God's man then? 
Is it going to be God's man? Because that, that's what the rest of this book is about. It's about a guy named Saul, and it's about a guy named David. And so the next point I have for you is, is Saul is anointed as the people's choice. He, he gets the people's choice award, right? So he is the people's choice, and the people want, uh, want a king, and so they appoint Saul to rule over them. Stay in chap- go to chapter 9, chapter 9, verse 1. And listen, I know this is a lot of history. I just want to make sure that we get this. So chapter 9, verse 1, that there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Neor, the Zeor, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward, he was higher than any of the people. In other words, this dude was taller than everybody else. He was jacked. He was ripped. He looked good. He was, he, he would won the sexiest man alive contest, right? That's, where, that's who this guy is. He's like, whoa, there's something different about this guy. He's got it going on. All right, I just said that. I can't believe I said that. I apologize. I just realized, I look over at Mason, he's like, you just said that. Okay. So chapter 10, verse 1, Samuel takes a vial of oil and he anoints Saul to be the king. Saul's a little um, nervous about this. And so it comes time for them to, to bring this king. In chapter, chapter 10, verse 19, they, they bring all the different tribes in and it narrows it down to Kish and, and, his, and his tribe and, and Saul. And they find Saul hiding among the stuff. Saul's a little timid. He doesn't necessarily want to rule and reign. And so you have this timid dude hiding behind the stuff. In other words, behind the scenes. Hold on to that. Hold on to that. Verse 22, therefore they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come hither. And the Lord answered, behold, he hath hid himself among the stuff and they ran and fetched him thence. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upwards. And Samuel said to all the people, see he whom the Lord hath chosen that there is none like him among all the people. And look at this. And all the people shouted and said, God save the king. That's so crazy to me. Here's a dude they don't know. They don't know anything about him other than he's really tall and he's good looking. And he's hiding amongst the stuff. And just because he's tall and good looking, they all go, he's our king. God saved the king. I just think it's interesting how quickly people are willing to follow and submit to governing authority. Just like that. Who is this guy? It's a guy who is timid and hiding amongst the stuff. And all of a sudden now he's in charge. That quick. Hold on to that. All right, so what happens, though, is Saul is not the best leader. He's not really a king, and God has to reject him, and we're going to bypass a lot. Go over here to chapter 15. Go to chapter 15, because God tells him to do something. He doesn't do it in fully. He, he, he declares that he's done it for the Lord, and he hasn't done it fully to the Lord, and he gets rejected as, as king. So chapter 15, when Samuel calls him out. He says, hath the Lord, verse 22, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than the sacrifice and to hearken to the fat of rams. Look at the end of verse 23. He says, he's also rejected thee from being king. His disobedience causes him to be rejected as king. And the moment he finds out he's rejected, he begins to pour out his wrath over uh, throughout Israel. All right. So David, or sorry, Saul is now rejected as king, and yet he's still ruling and reigning, but there's another guy. So Saul um, is, is the people's choice. Here's your next point, is that David is anointed as the Lord's 
as the Lord's choice. So you have Saul ruling, but David is really the next king up and coming. And you find out that Jesus Christ comes from the lineage of David. And David is promised a throne all the way through throughout history. And so chapter 16, verse 11 Man, there's a cool story here. We just don't have time to get into all this. David is now anointed as the king. So they go and they fetch him where he's, where he's taking care of the sheep. And he's, he's, listen, he's not the stud, right? He's not the gym guy. He's not the guy that's been, he's looking rough and, and, and buff. He's not that dude. He's, he's cute. That's who David is. He's the cute guy. He's, he's the guy all the girls go, he's cute, but I want the bad boy right? So everybody wants the bad boy Saul, but David's the one you really want. You want the nice guy. You want the cute guy. That's David. And they don't realize just how nice he is. Verse 12, and he sent and brought him in. And now he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for this is he. And then Samuel takes the horn of oil and, and anoints him. And he says, okay, you are going to be the king. So he is the anointed king, but the people don't make him king until 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 3. So there's still more drama happening here. So Samuel anoints him as king. Saul now begins to get jealous because when you get to chapter 17, David shows up on the scene. They're fighting against Goliath, a giant of a man. Goliath shows up and they're in the valley and the Philistines are going against Israel and they find it. Let's, let's fight this a mano a mano. David walks in and goes, who is this dude? Somebody needs to take him out. And everybody's like, yeah, you take him out. You get, the, you get the king's daughter for a wife. And he goes, ding, ding, I'm in. Ain't nobody else chasing after me. I'll go get me one. So he goes and defeats Goliath, takes a sling, sneaks, sticks him in the head, kills him, chops off his head, and comes back to Saul. And so here's the head, give me your daughter, pretty much. Here, here's his head, give me your daughter, I, I win. And so Saul's like, who is this dude? What's up with this guy? And look at verse, um, look at uh, verse 55, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 55. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Let me just give you a bypass. Let me just, let me just stop for a moment and give you something practical. Listen, when you are serving the Lord and you are doing exactly what God would have you to do, people take notice and they ask this question. They don't ask who you are. They ask who your father is. And here's Saul going, whose son, who does he belong to? Who's his dad? Where does he belong to? And you read all that down through, through verse 58. All right, now look over here in chapter 18. Verse 1, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So Saul has a son named Jonathan, and Jonathan says, hey, there's something different about this guy. I like this David guy, and they become best of friends. And his heart knits to him. We'll come back to him here in just a little bit. So the people were like, hey, David slang, slew his, uh, Saul slew his thousands, David slew his ten thousands. Saul gets jealous of this young dude. This good-looking, ruddy guy, he gets jealous of him, and he begins to eye him. Look at verse, verse 9, chapter 18, verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day forward. He's like, there's something different about you. You're going to come, and you're going to take my throne. He gets jealous. And so Saul becomes desperate to hold on to his throne. Y'all hanging with me? Y'all good with me? All right. I know this is fast. It's a big, fast history lesson. Now, let's talk about Jonathan for a moment. Because Jonathan Hart... Jonathan's heart knits to David 
but he's torn between his father and he's torn between David. Both of them have been anointed king. His dad's been rejected, and David is the rightful king. And Jonathan's stuck in the middle. He's torn between them. And, and so he chooses David's kingdom over his own. Go to chapter 19, verse 1. And Saul spake to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. And that breaks Jonathan's heart. He's like, why, why, would you want to kill, why would you want to kill my friend? Why would you want to kill David? Well, Saul recognizes that he's a threat. Go to chapter 20. Chapter 20, verse 30. It says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, and unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness, for as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. And so Saul's like, listen, I'm trying to help you out, man. I'm trying to make sure that you get the kingdom after me. And he's like, man, if, if he's alive, there's no way you have the kingdom. And so here's, here's a father who's desperately interested in building up the kingdom for his son instead of Lord, building up the Lord's kingdom. And it causes great division between a father and a son, so much so that he takes a javelin and tries to kill his own boy. He tries to kill him. And so Jonathan chooses David's kingdom over his own. And how does he, he finally solidify that? Go to chapter 31. Skip all the way to chapter 31. What you have in the midst of all this is Saul chasing David, David having an opportunity to kill Saul and doesn't do it. And finally, there's a big war happens. And in 1 Samuel chapter 31, Saul's house dies. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in the Mount of Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and uh, Mekeshua and Saul's sons. In other words, and then later on, Saul falls on his own sword and he dies. The only way for David's throne to be established is if the other lineage dies off. And so he secures, Jonathan secures David's kingdom by dying uh, with his father. He dies with him. All right, so y'all get the story? Y'all with me? Y'all get the story? I know that was a lot, but I just went, and man, there's a whole lot going on in there. I wish, I wish we could get into, but we're not preaching the book of 1 Samuel so much as we're just being introduced to it because the next point we've got to get to, and this is where I want to spend the, almost all the rest of our time, is the doctrinally. Because there's a, there's, a, there's a lesson here for us to learn doctrinally. And the question I want us to ask here is, who will sit on the throne in Israel? The first question was, who's going to sit on the throne over Israel? And the answer is David. And David is a type of Christ. But whenever you come to the Word of God, there's always a historical application, a prophetic or doctrinal application, and a personal or inspirational application. And man, we've got to get this as believers. We've got to get this. So I'm going to ask that you get your pen ready and write down a lot of references. I'm going to throw a lot of them up on the screen um, for you because what you find in 1 Samuel, it is a picture of the second coming of Christ. Jesus Christ already came once, didn't he? Didn't he? He already came once, but he is coming again. And this whole book of 1 Samuel is an illustration of that. In fact, the first seven chapters picture the first coming of Jesus. So the question I have for you is, will it be God as man? 
Who is going to rule over Israel, in, sorry, rule over the world in Israel? Well, the question is, okay, will it be God as man? Remember, there's no king in Israel. Everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes. Interesting, when you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you begin to study the first coming of Jesus, you have nations ruling over Israel, and any king that they have is nothing more than a puppet. There's nothing more than a puppet. It's not really anybody serving, not really anybody ruling over the nation of Israel. And so it's also a time, interesting enough, it's also a time when there's no open vision and no one's hearing from God because there's been 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. Just like it is in the beginning of 1 Samuel, just exactly how it is in the Gospels. It's a time of silence where God is not speaking until he does speak. And how does he speak? He shows up in embodied form of the word of God. John chapter 1 and verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God that they haven't been hearing all of a sudden shows up on the scene. It's Jesus Christ. He's the word and he's made flesh. He dwells among us and we beheld his glory. He's full of grace and, and, and truth. And so it's a time when the Jewish people aren't hearing from God until God shows up and says, hear me. I got something to say. But they let his words fall to the ground. But it's also a time when God renews his offer to rule over them. Now, what's interesting is when Jesus shows up on the scene, we're going to get into this on Wednesday nights very soon. When he shows up on the scene, he offers the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. He, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. They are not the same kingdom. One is physical, one is spiritual. Kingdom of heaven is a literal physical kingdom. That's what the world is fighting over right here, right now, today in Israel. Everybody wants land. They want power. They want to rule. They want to reign. That's the kingdom of heaven. But God offers also through Jesus the kingdom of God. It's a spiritual kingdom that's within us. Luke chapter 17, verse 21. It's a spiritual kingdom, and Jesus comes offering them both. And what happens when he offers both kingdoms? The Jews say, no, we want a king. And so in John chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus comes to them, and they receive him not. John chapter 19, verse 15 says, we have no king but Caesar. That's what they said when God offers to rule and reign over Israel and over all the nations from Jerusalem, and they reject him. They reject both kingdoms. They reject the kingdom of God and they reject the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, will it be God as man? And the answer is, no, not yet. Not yet. Next question, will it be man as God? Will it be man as God? Now, let's just stop for a moment. Because what happens when the nation of Israel rejects, rejects the Lord? Salvation is now offered to the Gentiles. Everyone in here, I would assume, is a Gentile. You're not Jewish. So you're a Gentile. Romans chapter 11, verse 11 says, Through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. And so they reject the kingdom of heaven, and God says, oh, fine. Then I'm going to allow my kingdom of God to, to, to be on this planet. I'm going to do that through the, my body, the body of Christ. I'm going to do that through the local church. And here's what's interesting. 
The whole time this happens where there's no king in Israel, everybody's doing that which is right in their own eyes, all the way to David that gets to rule and reign in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 3. You have all this, what's happening in the middle. What's happening in the midst of all this, you have the book of Ruth. And what's the book of Ruth? It's a picture of the kinsman redeemer redeeming a Gentile bride unto himself where God's attention is now focused on a Gentile bride and it's allowing us to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ. Cross-reference Ruth chapter four and verse 13. You can check that out on your own. So the question on the table is, will it be man as God? And this is what we've got to get because what is happening in Israel today is preparation for this question to be answered. This is the question that's being answered right here, right now, in the time and days we live in. Because Saul is a picture of the Antichrist. In other words, the people's choice. He's a picture of the Antichrist. Then before the second coming of Christ can take place, there has to be a rejection of Jesus took place. The rejection of God. They did that in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 13. John, they rejected the Lord. God turns his attention to a Gentile bride. And then there's coming a day where he's coming again, but not before the Antichrist, the wrong king sits on the throne. The people's choice. Next blank. It's a time where the world will be at war with, with Israel at the center. The, war, the world is at war. What's going on between Russia and Ukraine? What's going on with China and Taiwan? What's going on between India and Pakistan? What's going on all over the world is having everything to do with that little geographical area in the Middle East. It's all about Israel because that's where it all pops to a head. It all comes to that. It all centers around Israel. And Israel is at war today with a group of people where? In Gaza. Same exact thing. I got a map, uh, I think. Do I have a map? Yeah. So that's Israel. The, the light, light colors Israel, the dark places, is, is where the Palestinians are. This right here, this little tiny little spot, that's Gaza. That's where all the wars happening, and now it's busting out on the north side. And I go into all of that just to make sure that we understand that the world is going to be at war because they're fighting over that piece of property, but not just that piece of property, but there's a given city on that property. It's called Jerusalem. And that's what we're dealing with in the book of 1 Samuel. That's what we're dealing with today. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. Deals with this man named Antichrist, this man of sin. Then after three score and two weeks, shall Messiah be cut off. That happened. You read about that in the Gospels, but not for himself. And the people of the prince, lowercase p, by the way, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood. Interesting. What did, what did Hamas call it when they, they called the Al-Aqsa flood? Pay attention to what the world uses. Take, pay attention to the phrases and the words that the world uses because it sounds a lot like the Bible. And until the end of the war, desolations are determined, and he, that's the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for a week. This is all going to boil down to where it's going to get so bad that everybody's going to be sick and tired of war, and they're going to seek out one individual who's going to bring us peace. And they're going to do that through a covenant. He's going to confirm the covenant with many for a week. And if you study this out, it's not a week as in seven days, but it's a week of years, and so it's a seven-year period of 
supposed peace. All right, the next plank I have for you is the people will choose a king to bring them peace. Just like the people chose Saul, the people are also going to choose this, this man of sin. They're, the world is desperate for peace, and they're going to be quick to raise up, and they're going to follow a global king. Daniel chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. And in his estate shall he stand to be a vile person, that's the man of sin, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom with by flatteries. He's going to be a good speaker, an orator. And with the arms of a flood shall they be overthrown before him, and he shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. And what's interesting is this guy is going to come in, he's going to start getting everything ordered, and he's going to allow this covenant, I'm sure, is going to allow the nation of Israel to build the third temple. People aren't going to like that, and somebody's going to carry out an assassination attempt. That's your next point. He's going to be rejected as king through assassination. And what we know, according to Revelation chapter 13, verses 3 and 4, that he's going to resurrect from the dead. He's going to be embodied by Satan himself. And then he's going to walk into the third temple. He's going to be, demand to be worshipped, and he gets assassinated, and he's going to pour out his wrath over all of Israel to solidify his throne, just like Saul. You all seeing this? Just like Saul, this is exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. He's going to do this. Now, let me, we did not finish Daniel 9.27. Let's, let's finish it here, Daniel 9.27. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause a sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate. Cross-reference, we're going to know that he's going to walk into the third temple. He's going to declare that he is God. He demands to be worshipped as God. And he's going to cause the nation of Israel to be decimated. Zechariah says that two-thirds of the Jewish people will be killed. It's going to pale. The, the Holocaust is going to pale in comparison to anything that's getting ready to be poured out on the nation of Israel. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because you might be thinking, God, Tony, that, ask the Jews. Let them worry about it. What, what does that have to do with me? Why are we even studying about it? Why is this important? Well, Paul thought it was important. Paul thought it was important for the church to know. Verse 3, let, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, that's the second coming of Christ, shall not come except they're coming and falling away first, and that man of sin, that's the Antichrist, be revealed the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Let me ask you this question. Is there a temple now? There is no temple in Jerusalem, but that day is coming. In fact, they have all the stuff ready to go for it. They're prepared. They're ready for it. And this Antichrist is going to, in the midst of the week, he's going to resurrect. Why? Because Satan imitates everything. He's a great counterfeiter. Satan's going to embody him, and he's going to walk in demand. He's going to demand to be worshipped. So the next question then is, will it be God over man? Will it be God over man? Because you had a man claiming to be God. And he was going to rule. But his rule is going to be short-lived. Because the real question is, will it be God over man? Because David, the rightful king, who's been anointed from the very beginning is going to find himself on that throne. And David is a picture of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Christ. The man of sin will be dethroned. That's your next point. The man of sin will be dethroned. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, it's the second coming of Christ. It's Jesus Christ coming with his armies. He's coming with us. And, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. You see, when Jesus Christ comes, the second coming, there is no more Antichrist. He destroys it all in his coming. Praise the Lord. Amen. That day is coming for sure. And time is getting short. Next point I have for you then is that Jesus will sit on the throne in Jerusalem. Not just over Jerusalem, but he's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem over all the nations. And Psalm 117, Psalm 117 will fully come to fruition. Now we have the opportunity to see that happen now and calling them unto the kingdom of God and salvation so that they might praise the name of the Lord in their language all over the world. But there's coming a day where Jesus Christ will rule from Jerusalem in a third temple and he will rule for 1,000 years. And here's what's really cool is you and I get to rule and reign with him if we suffer for him. I want you to get that last part. You don't just get to rule and reign because you're one of his. Nope. You get to rule and reign if you suffer with him and if you actually do the work. And that's revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, Mason and I were talking about this this week. I think this is crazy. What did Lucifer want in the very beginning? He wanted to rule and reign with God. And God said, get out of here. You ain't doing that. And what does God do? Sorry, Sorry, this is just cool. Lucifer desperately wants to be like the most high, most high God, and he wants to be ruling and reigning with God. And what does God do? He creates Adam in his image and his likeness, the thing that Lucifer wanted. And he gives you and I the opportunity to rule and reign with him, just like Lucifer wanted. It's like God's just going, nana, nana, boo, boo. You wanted it, and I'm giving it to somebody else. Man, that's so cool of me. So cool. Revelation chapter 19, verses 15 and 16. And out of his mouth, when he shows up, every eye is going to see him. And out of his mouth go with a sharp sword, that with it he shall smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth out the winepress of the fierceness of wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's his name. That's the God that we've been praying to. That's the God that we've been singing to. That's the God that we're in submission to. That God. The rightful heir to the throne. That guy. Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord in his name. One. Zechariah chapter 14, and verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king. It's not just any king. It's a king worth being worshipped. Why? Because he's God. That's who he is. He's the Lord of hosts and to keep the feast of tabernacles. Man, I wish we could get into all of that. That's the doctrinal application of 1 Samuel. And if you're just reading it, you miss it. But pay attention to the day we live in today, guys. What is going on in Israel today? It's preparation for all of this to play out. And like David said it in our fellowship time this morning, it ain't changing, man. 
It is what it is. What does that have to do with you and me? Because we're not in Israel. And you're not Israel. But you are part of the kingdom of God if you're saved. And then you mean, that means that you have a job to do. I have a job to do. And what I see on the news and what I see on my screen tells me that time is short. So let's make this a very personal, very, very practical, and we'll be out. Here's the personal application. Who will sit on the throne over you? Who will sit on the throne over you? Because it's easy to get, look at cool stuff in your Bible. It's easy to get the pictures. It's easy to get the story. But if we miss how it applies to us right here and right now, what's the point? Remember I told you about this guy named Jonathan? That Jonathan is a, um, he's torn between his father and he's also torn between his friend David. And Jonathan is a picture of the New Testament believer. Jonathan's a picture of you. You are Jonathan. Jonathan is you. you. Because who ruled and reigned over your life before you met Christ? It was your flesh. And Saul is a picture of your flesh. And the moment you get saved, there's a new king anointed. 1 Samuel chapter 16. His name is David. And you know what it's like when you first get saved, when you first call the name of the Lord Jesus to save your soul. You are, you're torn, man. I just talked to a guy about this this week. You're torn. Your flesh wants to do this, but your spirit wants to do this, and you're torn between the two. So the question on the table then, who will sit on the throne over you? Will it be the flesh or will it be the, will it be the spirit? Because Saul is a picture of your flesh, and David is a picture of your spirit, the spirit of God. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 this I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh, flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to another, and you cannot do the things that you would. Does that describe your life sometimes? Man, I want to read my Bible. I want to do that. But my flesh says, football. <laughs> my flesh says, nap time. Or, man, I ought to go share the gospel. I ought to do discipleship. I'll just reschedule. I'll do this. I'll, do this. I'll find something else to do. I'll get around to that. You're torn. There's a battle of two kingdoms within you, your flesh and the spirit of God. And you can't, you can't serve them both. It's not possible. Romans chapter eight, verse one. There's now, says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, by the way. Let me just stop right there. That's where a lot of new Bibles stop. They stop right there. They don't finish out the sentence. Who walk not at the flesh, but after the spirit. You see, there is condemnation for a believer who chooses to walk into the flesh and not to the spirit. And that condemnation is not found necessarily on this time. The, that condemnation is found on the judgment seat of Christ because there is condemnation for believers who walked after the flesh and not the spirit. So what, do I get, what am I going to do? I got to choose who's going to reign. Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 says, And they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, and they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. That's my question to you. Because you should be asking the question, well, I wonder which one's reigning in my life. Is it the flesh or the spirit? Well, let me ask you this way. Are you mindful of the things of the spirit or the things of your flesh? That'll tell you who's ruling right now. Are you interested in serving the Lord at the expense of your flesh? Or are you interested in serving your flesh at the expense of the spirit? That's who's ruling and reigning in your life right 
now? The decisions you make, the directions you take, the ministry you do, the ministry you don't do, is all determined by which one you're choosing to serve. Now, I can't force anybody. I can't make you serve one or the other. I I can't. But I tell you what, I'll just stop. I won't go there. All right, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Then they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Remember what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 31? What did Jonathan do? He died so the right king could live. And what does Paul say? I die daily. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. What do I do? How do I, how do I make sure that the Spirit's always on the throne? Know this, that your flesh wants to resurrect every day, every moment of every day. And you have to die daily so that the rightful king can rule over you. It's an everyday thing. And I'll close with this. Time is short. I know you've heard that. I know you've heard that. And I know you've heard that. I know you've heard that. But time is short. Very, very short. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. These things, these doctrinal things are going to come to fruition. But the one thing we did not talk about The one thing we did not talk about is that we have a very short amount of time left on this planet. Why? Because the rapture of the church is coming. She's like, yeah, God's judgment, but the church is gone. That's right. The church is gone. The rapture of the church is not a reward. The rapture of the church is not a celebration. The rapture of the church is a judgment of God's people. We have a slice of time to make an eternal difference. And then God says, you're out of the way so I can focus on the nation of Israel. As a whole, the church, I'm not just talking HBC, I'm not necessarily talking about you. I'm talking about as a whole, God's church has been busy building their own kingdoms instead of leading people to Christ and making disciples. That's what we've got to be about. Mason and I were talking about it this morning. There must be a sense of urgency today. You should have a sense of urgency because you do not have time to waste. If you're Christ's, if you're Christ's, you have crucified the flesh. Are you mindful of the things of the flesh or the things of the spirit? Because we don't have time to be minding fleshly things. Amen? So let's take some time right now. Let's do some soul searching right now. Let's ask the Lord right now. Let's crucify the flesh right now. May David rule over our lives. May it be Christ. May it be the Spirit of God that rules and reigns over our lives. May we not be fleshly minded, pursuing fleshly things, the fleshly rewards, the fleshly kingdoms. But we may, may we take advantage of the slice of time that we've been given to serve the Lord with our 
lives because the rightful king should be on our throne right here and right now, knowing that one day that king is going to bodily show back up on this planet with me at his side, and I want to rule and reign with him. Let's pray and let's ask God for perspective on this world because that Israel seems so far away and yet it's right in your pocket. It's right next door, man. That Bible prophecy is happening before your eyes. We don't have time to mess around anymore. We've got to be about it. Let's do business with the Lord and I'll pray and we'll get out of here. Lord, we looked at so much. We studied so much. And there's so much we missed out on. But Lord, I believe the message is very simple. It's a tale of two kings. This world desires a man of sin. This world desires an antichrist that will solve all their problems. And Lord, he will fail. And Jesus Christ will rule and reign over this planet in a righteous way. And Lord, we're thankful for that. But Lord, we know that that means judgment and that means wrath. And Lord, we have the one solution to save individuals from that wrath. It's the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, may we carry ourselves, may we walk as David walked, where people ask the question, who's that guy's dad? Who's that woman's father? Lord, so we can glorify you by leading people to Christ and making disciples and training them up to go and do the same. Lord, may we make the decision right here and right now to die to ourselves Crucify the flesh because we belong to you. We ask all this in the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.